dry your eyes Take your song out It's a newborn afternoon And if you can recall the singer You can still recall the tune All right, hello everybody and welcome back to Beats, Rye and Types, episode 21. Our 21st straight week recording and the second time uh, that we're recording together in person. Um, you've been listening to a song by Neil Diamond uh, called Dry Your Eyes, which if you've ever seen uh, The Last Waltz, the, the band movie, um, Neil Diamond actually performs uh, this song in the, uh, in the film. And the reason why he chose this song is because it was on an album that Robbie Robertson uh, from the band produced for Neil Diamond. And uh, the story goes that when uh, Robbie wanted Neil Diamond to be on The Last Waltz, everyone was naturally like, why? Uh, because <laughs> Neil Diamond was hardly as hip as you know yeah. most of the people that are also in the movie, like Joni Mitchell, Bob Dylan, Neil Young. I mean, the real reason is that Robbie Robertson probably just wanted to like promote a thing that he was working on. But uh, the reason that they gave was that Neil, Young, Neil Diamond, uh, pardon me, represented the old school like Tin Pan Alley songwriter style uh, artist uh, that was sort of an important part of the development of the band and if you look back at Neil Diamond's actual like writing au revoir, he's written tons of extremely popular songs that other people ended up going on to sing so um, this version that I played is actually from the Beautiful Noise LP that uh, the song came out on um, but I highly recommend checking out the live uh, from the Last Waltz version. Have you seen that movie? I have seen that movie. It's great. Also, Martin Scorsese, you should mention. It's a Martin Scorsese film. One of his early Um, movies. It's a very high production quality music document, like sort of concert film, but it's got all this interstitial interviews with uh, the band members. You live up in band, uh, you live up in band, band territory. Band now. territory, yeah. Yeah. Um, we're not that far from Levon Helm Boulevard, I think it's uh, okay. called, which is the road up from Kingston to Woodstock, basically, is nice. dubbed Levon Helm Boulevard, yeah. Yeah, so uh, the band is one of my all-time favorite groups. Um, if you don't know them, you should check them out. They actually started as a sort of bar band in Canada, they were called the Hawks because they backed uh, an old kind of Canadian country blues singer named uh, Ronnie Hawkins. And then they were Bob Dylan's electric band for years um, when Dylan went electric and got a, a, a real electric band. The band mm-hmm. was his backing group, uh, which is like kind of amazing, actually. Yeah. Uh, and then they moved to Woodstock and turned themselves into the band. And it's kind of it's very, very beautiful, uh, virtuosic music, very, very American. There's that book that actually that you told me to read the, um, the oh yeah, uh, Bill Graham. Bill Graham, the yeah. Bill Graham biography. Did you read it? Yeah, yeah, oh, a yeah. while ago. Autobiography. Autobiography, which is yeah. one of the, definitely like one of the all time great like music books, especially from that era of that era. Like, um, Bill Graham was this famous, it was just like, I, I can't even do his story justice because he's incredible. like, he's a Eastern European immigrant, basically came to New York 
like escaped the Holocaust. Ho- escaped the Holocaust, got caught up in some salsa music, basically, in New York, and then decided in the early '60s that he was going to move across the coast to to the West Coast, like right at the beginning of the hippie era in San Francisco, and somehow fell in with this troop of like avant-garde musicians and and mime, mime troop, yeah, yeah, the mime <laughs> troop, and then ended up ended up uh, becoming one of the greatest most like well-renowned historic producers of of rock concerts in the world yeah probably. i mean yeah. he actually uh he launched the grateful dead basically yeah, jefferson and airplane. jefferson airplane and the band in the on the west coast yep. like helped help them get a bunch of concerts out there and People i think he i think he was part of the last waltz too wasn't he I, I mean, uh he produced it yeah, yeah it was yeah. his show yeah. yeah he produced it. it was at the Fillmore in new york yeah. um and he uh Bill Graham kind of invented the rock concert, actually, is the way that they say it. Like, the reason why every, like, underground rock show that you go to is, like, at 8 p.m. and costs $5 is because that's, like, what Bill Graham's, like, thing was. Yeah. And he was really into kind of the hospitality aspect of it. Um, and he was, you know, a very interesting character, clearly, like, an opportunist. Totally. Uh, and was very kind of buttoned up in his own way. Yeah. Um, There's this great story in the book. I, I'm probably again not going to do it justice but there was like one of the last concerts the grateful dead was doing at the fillmore in san francisco before they shut down the fillmore somehow they he was like a straight he was completely straight edge he never did any drugs and uh someone like put lsd on like the he always had a can of coke yeah. for before every every concert and someone put lsd on the rim of his can of coke yeah and he got super high and just like Started playing bongos at, live on stage with with the Grateful Dead. I think is the story. Yeah, I mean they really like they were basically <laughs> they were basically constantly trying to dose him, and he knew it. So he was very vigilant about not accepting like anything from them. But then kind of slipped up that one time. But the book is amazing because it's it's this it's it's an autobiography, but it's told through interviews with Bill Graham himself and then also interviews with all the people around him at every era in his life, like his family and then musicians and all this stuff. And there are like throughout the book, there are differing differing accounts of different stories depending on who you ask. But they're both printed side by side as yeah. like this is this is the story of my life. And yeah, I definitely highly recommend checking out that book. Yeah, I'm a music book fanatic, and it's definitely one of my favorites. There's yeah. a decent book about the band too that's called Across the Great Divide um, that I can recommend if you're interested in reading about them. Cool. So yeah, we're in New York City right now uh, for the Goruko Conference. Uh, this is the ninth Goruko. Goruko is Gotham Ruby Conference, mm-hmm. and this is the New York City Regional Ruby Conference uh, that Aaron and I have both attended uh, and spoken at and spoken at multiple times. And this is kind of like our hometown conference. Mm-hmm. So, so even though neither of us live around here anymore, we both kind of needed to be up here. Uh, for the conference so we thought we'd talk a little bit and and you know last week when we recorded live we were uh down in dc for ruby conference and aaron's aaron's uh sort of on a little mini speaking tour for the next couple months (laughs) so we thought we'd talk about um some some conference talks that we've seen that we enjoyed maybe some that we're anticipating um and uh yeah you know it's again essentially kind of just finding an excuse to record since we're geographically co- <laughs> co-located so yeah, yeah you uh w- what have you seen recently that that you enjoyed yeah i mean i i should say too just Gorko is awesome and all the organizers do an amazing job every year and it's gotten better every year i would say like 
the first one was actually at Google's offices. That's like, the only one I missed. Yeah, it yeah, was like the second is, one on. Yeah, and it was crazy. And then the the second, yeah, the second for a while they had them at Pace, and now they're in a much bigger production. Yeah, much at the Almond Building. Very at nice. At the Almond Building. Yeah, I've seen there like Ruby Nation was kind of a mixed bag, but there were definitely some really good talks there and some cool stuff that we saw. I'm a big fan of talks that are like a little either like bring something a little different from outside of the world of whatever the conference is specifically about and try to apply it or teach the community about something from outside of the community or like things that are just like super deep and way over everyone's head including my own. And so actually I really enjoyed um, Hiro Asai, who's from Travis CI, did like a little talk at, our talk at Ruby Nation about PID controls basically, like in as control theory as it relates to like doing jobs. And I, I had experienced PID controls from the world of like sous vide and uh, sausage carrying and all the other hobbies that I have, but I never thought about that same kind of idea applied to like Q theory basically and how you manage how you manage like work and resources and it's basically you can take that same algorithm and apply that that to like a lot of different things and I really I think he did a pretty concise job of explaining it and uh, unfortunately the Ruby Nation talks were pretty short only twenty five minutes I wish he had some more time because I'm sure he would have had time to go a little more in depth but it was it was a cool idea and I'm I'm looking forward to like thinking more about that and applying those same ideas to different to different tools. A talk that I enjoyed there was about, I don't remember the speaker's name, unfortunately, I'll put it in the speaker notes, but the talk about um, building your own programming language, I thought was really interesting. Oh, yeah. Did you watch that one? Yep. Uh, it was really cool um, for a number of reasons. Uh, the speaker implemented uh, this little compiler for a little mini language uh, in F Sharp, um, actually, which is, uh, Really cool. Have you seen that at all? No, so F Sharp is like the you know it's the C Sharp is like the Microsoft you know newer kind of yeah. object oriented language, and F Sharp is like the functional version of that. And uh, I first encountered uh, I've heard about you know I've been I am familiar with some people in the F Sharp community. There's some academics that do their work in F Sharp, um, but I ran into it for the first time up close when I was in Sao Paulo in March. Uh, giving a talk down there in Brazil, and there was some, there were some F Sharp team members in Sao Paulo uh, that were there, and I got asked one of them to give me like a demo of F Sharp uh, to show it off, and it's very, very powerful. Uh, it's a, you know, it has a very, um, it has a very powerful type system. Uh, it has a lot of awesome editor integration, um, and uh, it seems very fast and small. It's a pretty nice language, so. This speaker implemented this programming language in F Sharp, which I think was like a cool, uh, a cool choice because it's a natural language for building like a compiler in. Uh, and he basically walked through how to, you know, how it works. You know, just basically like an overview of taking a tiny language and uh, trying to like extend it, and some of the pitfalls and challenges of like understand building a compiler like that, and trying to understand totally. its inner workings. So that was cool. You there was a I forget his name, a Mark Andre. Uh, he wrote the thin uh, Ruby server, but then he wrote a book a couple years ago, like an ebook about building your own programming language. Oh yeah, and I think it was the one that actually got Jeremy Ashkenaz to like build right. CoffeeScript based right. on the what he learned from that book, which is 
funny in and of itself but um but yeah i read that book it was really interesting like you don't really think about it that much because you're just as a programmer you're used to just using languages and then sometimes creating like simple dsls or things on top of them like but you're not especially as a rubyist like you intend to do that a lot but building a full programming language is kind of a different thing but one of the things that i find interesting about it and he, the the at the Ruby Nation talk, he talked a bunch about that too and kind of laid it out. There is like basically a formula for building a programming language. Like it's not, it's like a known thing of how, how to actually implement a virtual machine and how to implement garbage collection and like the features of a programming language is up for debate and every language has its own way of doing it. But how to like implement a thing that turns code or turns like, you know, syntax, code into syntax, into, into, machine instructions is a pretty known thing that everyone kind of does almost the exact same thing with no matter what language you use right yeah totally yeah i mean and a, and a very interesting thing about building programming languages in 2015 is that there's all these amazing languages to build programming languages in mm -hmm. and so when people think about their when people think about building a programming language i think they think of if you're like my age i think what you tend to think <laughs> about is like oh wow like parsing and like writing C code to like parse and like writing up, you know, everything is like lower level. Like yeah, that's yeah. not really how, because of how advanced some of these virtual machines are for some of these languages, like you can write a very efficient language on top of another language. Like the language that I talked about at Ruby Nation, Idris is implemented in Haskell. Yeah. And one of the cool thing, one of the coolest ideas in programming language theory is this idea of higher order abstract syntax, which is basically the idea that if you wanted to write a language that has a certain feature and you're building it on top of a language that also has that feature, you essentially just let the underlying language uh, implement work, yeah. that. And you are essentially kind of just like playing with this like syntax transformation stuff. So if you wanted to build a curried, lazy, strictly type language on top of Haskell, then you're essentially just like doing the work to translate it from what you wrote into the Haskell code, uh, which is a really cool like way of thinking about yeah. it. Um, and is a, an idea that's relatively new to me that that speaker actually took advantage of without necessarily like explicitly pointing it out because probably that's a little bit beyond the scope of what he was trying to yeah, do in, yeah. in 25 minutes. But yeah, that was cool. That that was a good one for me. So, have you have you spent any time with Elixir at all? Like, I'm curious. I've only like cursory looked at the examples and know that it's a pretty cool Elixir is a a language on top of the Erlang VM that's like kind of has a Ruby ish syntax, yeah. right? Is it just translating to like uh, I don't want to use the word transpiling unless you <laughs> smack me across the table, but. But is it is but... it compiling to like Erlang? It code? compiles to Erlang code. Yeah, okay. there is an Erlang intermediate language that's called Core Erlang that okay. I believe that he. It's been a little bit of time since I've looked directly into it. Jose Valim is yeah. the inventor, creator of Elixir, which is a really cool language. I mean, that's a, like Elixir is an awesome example of like a language that takes wants to take advantage of the language that's built on top of, mm -hmm. yeah. which is Erlang, and like you know it's distributed, and you get a lot of that really good uh, goodness out of it. So, yeah, and what always trips people up about Erlang usually is like the syntax is just really weird. It's and, alien, yeah. yeah. I mean. I, I feel like, you know, it's like anything else. If you spend a couple of weeks with it, that sure, kind of melts sure, away. But sure. I totally agree. Like, that is that is the beef that people have, whether or not I agree that that's like a problem is a different story. Um, There's just some basic things about it that are so different because it's so 
prologue-esque if you like it's just, it's just old yeah it's just old yeah. and, and so, prologue-esque yeah yeah sure. you know and like commas in weird places yes. and stuff like that that you're like that as a programmer of like you know all most of the languages that i program in or i've had experience programming in you know java javascript c go ruby python all even though they have many syntactical differences all kind of follow a very similar syntactical pattern like yeah, you know they're, right. they're all they're all they're all algal like yeah they're act, they actually literally all descend from, from the, the same, same program exactly language. so yeah. it's like erlang is like a very it's foreign. a it's yeah. descended from prologue yeah. so it has a different thing and yeah there are some annoying aspects of it and the ergonomics aren't great but yeah. to answer your question it's a compiler from he wrote a compiler in Erlang from Elixir to Erlang. Okay. And uh, it has some interesting facilities, uh, like there are macros in Elixir, there aren't macros in Erlang. Um, and the reason why he's able to make like a Ruby-ish feeling language on top of Elixir is that, on top of Erlang is that Erlang is dynamically typed as well. So it, it has a really cool feel. Uh, there's a web framework called Phoenix that they're working on that's Railsy in Elixir, and I think it's a cool thing. He's yeah. managed to create something very interesting, um, and that's a very good example of a language that relies on some very interesting properties of the what's called the host language mm -hmm. uh, to create, you know, some some other tools or some other interesting types of programs. So yeah, that's cool, and, and it tends to apparently. Uh, it's 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 meant to like wallpaper over some of those warts uh, that yeah. are in the Erlang syntax and takes advantage of OTP, which is like the framework, and and that you kind of get all that stuff out of the box. Yeah, Erlang is kind of no as a community is notoriously pretty. I mean, the, in the past like five years, it's gotten. I think it's changed dramatically, and it's gotten a lot more open. But it's historically like very academic, and also like like when I first started looking into it, it was because of CouchDB. Like CouchDB was my first intro into it that I like got really involved in the CouchDB community and was really interested in it as a platform. And CouchDB at that point was built on top of an Erlang VM. And so I was like kind of curious and wanted to add a feature to one of the CouchDB things and had to dive into Erlang code to do it and ended up getting kind of stuck. But that was a bunch of years ago now and I think it's gotten a lot better, but it's cool that someone he was able to take something that you know you could perceive initially as a toy or like a, just an idea to something that people were actually using and has some really cool features and some you know community and weight behind it yeah i mean and uh yeah erlang's great and and uh, there's a book erlang and otp in action which i don't know if i've shouted out on this show before but it's one of my favorite programming books i think that might be because like it's like the first like big it's like the first book thoroughly about functional programming that I ever read and it's very and Erlang is very functional and has a, a functional perspective on a lot of things. So what about uh, what about today at Goruko? Have you seen anything that you that you enjoyed? I really liked. I mean, I have to kind of I'm obligated, but I also I also actually enjoyed it, but. Eileen, uh, who is actually my neighbor in Kingston, she lives down the street from me, gave a talk this morning about Ruby performance, which is obviously close to my heart um, and what I spend a lot of time on. And I declared earlier today that uh, Kingston, New York is now the Ruby performance capital of, of America because nice. <laughs> the two of us live uh, down the block from each other. Uh, yeah, it's cool. She did a really good job distilling a bunch of information about how she's been doing performance work inside of Rails and specifically around the testing framework. 
using tools that that I've talked about before too that and that I've worked on specifically Stackprof, which is a tool that Aman Gupta from GitHub um, wrote, which is based on uh, Google's pprof tool, which is like one of the most you know awesome performance tools in the world and you know google uses it i think pretty extensively internally and so stackprof is really cool but its output is kind of hard to parse until you get used to like what it's kind of representing it's not very intuitive what it what the data that you get from it is like the dump of data which is basically just like how many samples the, basically the way it works is it takes samples every n and clicks in in the system and then kind of represents what's on the stack at those clicks and whatever is on the stack the most and at the top of the stack or at the bottom of the stack those are the things that are probably taking up the most time in in your code it's very different than a wall profiler or just like a classic like benchmarking tool where you're wrapping code and doing it but the benefit is that there's like zero probe effect or very little probe effect because it's just sampling the stack and it does a really good job of not um, not doing that and that's all possible because of Ruby 2.1 they added some features to do that so Eileen did a really good job of um, of kind of distilling what how 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 to read that output and what it actually looks like um, and how to actually use that to to do Ruby performance work which is great it's an awesome tool and it's like definitely has not gotten as much use and hype as it should because it's just it it is the most useful probably reference tool especially for doing stuff in production because of its lack of pro effect problems um but people don't really talk about it. and i've been trying to shout it out as much as possible because it's aman did an awesome job making it work yeah he's a sharp dude for sure he's one of those people that the Ruby community would be several years behind where it is today if <laughs> yeah. it wasn't for him. So explain what the probe effect is to people if they don't know. Sure. What it is. So the probe, the idea of the probe effect in a system, the act of measuring the performance or some some aspect of the system has an adverse effect on the system itself. So the data that you collect based on the measurement is kind of inaccurate or like is maybe relatively accurate but not accurate as for in an absolute way i don't I, I don't know if there's any performance tool that doesn't have some aspect of probe effect the act of measuring something and inserting some code or measuring has to have at least some probe effect of just like what when you're measuring something you know you're looking at it and you're collecting data about it and that act of collecting data can have some effect on the data itself but most Ruby performance tools that people use have an extreme probe effect to the point where like anything you're measuring is doubled, tripled, quadrupled from the act of measuring it because you're actually inserting probes into the stack that actually are tracking every single method call and stuff like that. And that's how RubyProf works. And RubyProf is great for local and seeing like actual full details of call stacks and stuff like that. Um, and Aman actually wrote this other tool called RBLineProf, which is like a line profiler for Ruby, which actually shows you every line of code that got called and how much time was spent or CPU time or wall time on each on each line of code. And that has a huge probe effect because it has to actually trace every single line and record that somewhere and the act of recording it makes a big impact on the actual performance. So that's something that you would never use in production because if you used it in production, it would slow down your production site, but also just like you would get like kind of inaccurate data and it's not, it's really just for relative changes. You want to look at relative weights, but Stackprof is different because 
because of the way it's sampling and there are hooks for this sampling in Ruby itself, you really don't have to um, worry as much about it affecting production code. And it's something that a lot of people like don't realize. Like even New Relic and a lot of the tools that people use, they've done a lot of work to try to eliminate as much probe effect as possible by doing the collection in a separate thread and stuff like that and background work. But at the same time, there you have to know that anything you're doing on that scale is causing some kind of even if it's a millisecond, some aspect of a probe effect. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't even have to be time. I mean, you you know, the, you could be paying for recording with memory yes, or something exactly, like that. Yeah, exactly. so you're, of course, you're always going to have a Schrodinger thing going on with yeah. your ability to observe something without impacting it. So yeah. that's an interesting that's an interesting idea. So, so what about in uh, what about up, upcoming conferences that you're attending? Are there any talks that you're anticipating in uh, in conferences uh, that you'll be at? That's a good question. I'm I'm excited. I'm actually I'm going to Barcelona in in September for this Baruco like Barcelona Ruby Conference slash Future JS. I think they're calling it Full Stack Fest, and it should be really fun. Um, I, our good friend Michael Rogers of Node.js or IOJS fame should be there, and uh, I'm gonna get to hang out with him. So I'm exci- I'm looking forward to that. But yeah, it looks like yeah, Matt is speaking at that, and oh, I always, cool. I always love watching Matt's talk. Matt's the creator of Ruby, is uh, you know he's a really wonderful and nice person and very brilliant guy. But he also has like, he's an interesting speaker because he like people, everyone who's kind of like looking to him to the way Ruby, the direction that Ruby is going. He always always gives a talk that's like full of. Oh, here's all the things that I would like to do in Ruby, and mm-hmm. people get really excited. Or he gives a talk where he's like, "Here are some things I've been thinking about, but none of this will ever happen." Like he's <laughs> he's like kind of a humble guy, but it's it's interesting just the way that whole thing has worked, where you know uh, Ruby has grown to the point where there's so many committers, but also like the future of the language is still pretty pretty relegated to a, a small group of people. Yeah, yeah, for better or worse. Yeah, how about yourself? Uh, Strange Loop, right? Yeah, Strange Loop is probably what I was going to say. A lot yeah. of awesome talks. Strange Loop's an amazing conference. I'm really excited that I'll be speaking this year. I'm doing a co-talk uh, with my buddy David Nolan, uh, our buddy David Nolan, who we, we should have. We need to have <laughs> yeah, on the show one day. Yeah, we need to have on the show. Got to figure that out. There's a lot of great talks there. Uh, Peter Bayless is speaking, oh, who's, awesome. who's one of my favorite uh, researchers. And we should have Peter on the show. Yeah, we could totally awesome. do that. I could hit him up. He would be. I'm sure he would enjoy it. And there's a lot of great talks there. Uh, that's a great conference. That is. It's in its sort of middle. You know, it's sort of in its middle period. It's like the fourth or fifth year of the conference, and so it's still kind of its identity is still sort of cementing somewhat. But it's a conference that's sort of oriented around, on one hand, the intersection between academic and industrial programming, and on the other hand, kind of like what's next in programming in general and all kinds of other really interesting subjects. So it's a good, uh, I look forward to it every year because it's like a good couple days of just like really uh, digging in and getting into, you know, it's, it's a great place to go if you're wondering what it feels like to like, you know, feel like what it was like when you first experienced computers, you know, where you kind of were like doing it because you thought it was cool and, not everything was about applicability and practicality and all that kind of stuff, which of course applicability and practicality have their place in time, but it's really nice. It's kind of like the, you know, it's kind of like the Woodstock of uh, computer nerds. Um, 
programming language theory people, distributed systems people, hardware people, uh, everyone is there and it's a great conference and a fantastic community and Alex Miller who is uh, the founder of it and maintainer of it has done a really amazing job um, building this kind of very inclusive, uh, positive community of people and that's like, it's so, I'm super excited to uh, be speaking. I make a joke like every. I apply to speak every year and get rejected every year. <laughs> so I always make a joke that me being rejected means that the conference will be great. So <laughs> now that I got accepted, yeah, it's all down. I know, I'm having. I'm, I'm. You know. I'm actually part of that, which is a little bit challenging for me. But yeah, that'll be cool. And then I'm actually really. I'm. I'm excited to see how your cat skills come oh, yeah. uh, comes yeah. up, which is a little bit another month after that or so. So yeah, I think an interdisciplinary kind of thing like that sounds really cool. Cool. So you, yeah. want to, you want to plug that for a second? Sure, yeah. So I was going to say, like, I forget what conference it was, but there was some conference I was at with our friend uh, Blake Mizraney, um, and Who will be at Strange Loop. Who will be at Strange Loop and is a native of St. Louis, so that I, I have, I've never been, but I've heard it's a, it's an experience to go it's to Blake show <laughs> to go to St. Louis with Blake. Anytime you're with Blake, it's the Blake show. Though. <laughs> <laughs> we I forget what conference it was, but it was something was like a little. Either it was a little boring or like the talks were just not very exciting and we we schemed this idea that we wanted to create this conference called This Shit Is Over Your Head Conf <laughs> and I actually registered the domains. I probably still have them. Um, but, the, but the idea being that like which I, I think Strange Loop is probably the possibly the best uh, actualization of that idea but this idea of like the reason that I like going to conference, like I was saying, is like I want to see some stuff that's either like someone who just like spent a lot of time thinking about something super deeply and super uh, something that's very not the what I'm used to doing or like not my normal thing. And but this person has gone super deep into the esoteric ends of the earth with something and then will blow your mind or something just completely like completely over my head i remember there was this actually one of my favorite talks of all time just because it was just so like what the hell at JSConf, the one that we went to it was either arizona or the year before where he um mr olive the the oh, yeah. the um who's like uh i forget his actual name but he's uh He's the one of the. He was working on Dart for a while, but he's on the Google like compiler. He team. was on the V8 team, and he was the on the time, V8 team, and think, he right? and he was just talking about like assembly level performance improvements oh, to the V8 engine, and it was just like what it was just like. It was basically things? like a talk. I I I saw that talk and then became like an insufferable asshole because <laughs> I just have no patience for people like hand optimizing their JavaScript code because yeah. if you watch that talk and then you hand optimize JavaScript code, like you are essentially just are masturbating like <laughs> off for fun which is fine but he's like don't do this because the vm is smarter than you and you know micro benchmarking just like was on my shit list forever after seeing that talk but yeah that's a really great really example great, yeah. yeah and so um when i moved up to the hudson valley uh i met a couple guys who run the hudson valley tech meetup this guy dan stone and kale um, who um, who are really great and like the sweetest guys and I'm excited that I've become friends with them but they they run the Hudson Valley Tech Meetup and I was kind of talking to them it was like it would be awesome to have a conference up here and get people from the city and from other everywhere else to come up to the Hudson Valley and 
the Catskills in our area and just experience how awesome it is and show off all like the bounty of food and drink and nature and everything that we have to everyone with the not so subtle intention of being like, hey, you should actually move up here and, and become my neighbor too. Uh, we started talking about it and actually it, it just turned into like something that could be a reality and even this year. So we managed to book this place called the Ashokan Center, which is this beautiful, like, I can't even describe how beautiful it is because it's just like, it's, it. hopefully in October it'll be as beautiful as it was when we saw it in um, March, but it, I'm sure it will be. I don't it'll think anything. Fall. It'll be the fall. It'll like all the trees yeah. will be blowing up. So hopefully it'll be awesome. But it's like by a river and there are these giant beautiful lodges. And it's – the idea is that I wanted to combine the this shit is over your head conf with like nature and food and art and try to like make it a really unique experience. And definitely very, very, very inspired and I owe like a huge debt to uh, my friend Paul, our friend Paul Campbell, who is like um, ran FunComp for many years with his friend Eamon and then has been running Ool for a couple years now in Ireland. And he is like a master of turning conferences into like these full experiences. And I think he actually owes a debt to Chris Williams, who uh, yeah, founded JSConf. Sure. It's about a lot of things. It's not just about uh, the talks, but it's about the talks. It's about and it's not just about the parties, it's about talks, it's about parties, it's about having like an experience where you really create a community around a specific, like a single event. And so that's really what we're trying to go for. It's gonna be, it's, it's, it's not an easy thing to pull off, so hopefully we can pull off, but we're gonna have a couple talks, but they're not gonna be like super technical. I'm hoping to find, uh, there's not gonna be like a call for proposals. I'm, I'm actually the individual who's in charge of curating the list of speakers, and there's gonna be probably about nine talks, I think two long ones and seven short ones. And then there's gonna be workshops. That's gonna be the most exciting thing for me. So we'll have these like afternoon things on Saturday. The idea is that we'll have talks in the morning, have a big lunch, and then after lunch, everyone's gonna split up into these workshops that people sign up for, and there's gonna be like a uh, Fleischer's, the butcher is gonna run like a how to break down a pig workshop. Obviously, if you're vegan, don't go to that. But there's also gonna be like a yoga workshop. There's a blacksmith on premises. There's gonna be a blacksmith wow. workshop. There's gonna be like a foraging and going into the forest workshop. And there's actually, the whole Ashokan Center is connected to this group of folk musicians who kind of founded it. And they're gonna be there and hopefully helping out and maybe performing a concert one of the nights but also teaching like folk a folk music ukulele workshop during the time so hopefully it'll be as small as like 120 130 people ideally and hopefully it'll be really family friendly too um, i'm gonna bring the family there and hopefully everyone else will be willing to come and kind of be a part of this like event is what i'm hoping it hoping it'll be and like the goal is not to leave people feeling like, oh, I know how to implement a new thing. It's like really about leaving and feeling inspired and rejuvenated and that kind of thing. I know it sounds pretty hippy dippy, but I'm pretty no, excited. It sounds about great. It. I'm looking forward to it. I'm try <laughs> hopefully, be able to bring the family up. Yeah, totally. All right. Well, uh, thanks everyone for tuning in. Uh, we're really uh, excited by you know all the feedback we've been getting and. Uh, we are about to like dive in in earnest into the completion of our pizza book yes. for real. So uh, anyone who wants to recipe test, uh, let us We've know. We've had a bunch of successful recipe yeah, testers, we have. which we have. is awesome. Yeah. Shout out to everyone who's helped out with yep. that. And uh, we look forward to seeing you next time. Thanks a lot. Peace.